Hi there, House Culture listener. If you enjoy this episode or have enjoyed listening to other episodes in our series, please support and donate to us through the Acast Supporter feature. All donations will help us create the content that you love listening to. You can decide how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So it could be a one-off and every now and then or once every time you listen. It's really up to you. Click on the supporter link in the episode description and with Google or Apple Pay, it will take you less than 30 seconds to make your contribution. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. You don't even know me. But you really do. This is Dwayne Harden, and you're listening to the House Culture Podcast. House Culture. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the House Culture Podcast, hosted as always by me, the managing editor at House Culture, Matt Rouse. This is our fourth season, and it's proving to be our most popular one yet. Whether you're a regular listener that has been here from the beginning, or someone who might be tuning in for the first time today. We want to thank you for taking the time and making the choice to listen to our conversations with the artists, producers, promoters and DJs who are woven into the very fabric of this rich tapestry we call House Culture. If you are new here, then welcome to House Culture. We are a collective of house music fans who have come together through their mutual love of the beat to celebrate the spirit of house music. Instagram is where you can find us, so please follow House Culture Net and get yourself connected to a worldwide dance floor of over 100,000 club connoisseurs. We also have an extremely diverse discography of voices in our back catalogue of episodes. Season 4 has already featured progressive house legend and ex-Mixmag editor Dave Seaman and those Ibiza innovators that are Mike and Claire Manumission. But if you wanted to go further, you'll find superstar DJs like Fatboy Slim, Tall Paul and Brandon Block, current heavyweights such as Purple Disco Machine, Alan Fitzpatrick and Sidney Charles, and top-tier legends like Danny Tanaglia, David Morales and Danny Rampling. We also have some huge guests coming up later in this season. You will not want to miss these. So make sure you follow us so you don't miss out on those episodes going live later in the year. Now let's get on with the episode, shall we? In this one, I chatted to one of the voices of house music. Not only have you heard his vocal stylings on some of house music's biggest anthems, you've also sang your heart out to many other tracks that he has written. He is, of course, the singer, songwriter and super talented Dwayne Harden. 
In our chat, you'll hear who was responsible for introducing him to the sounds of house music. I really got my education in terms of house music from Amon Van Hilden. He was a DJ at an after-hours party, and it was called The Loft, and I just loved the music he played. The story of how one of his most famous songs became the anthem we know it to be today. People are like, oh my God, have you heard the new Amon record? And I'm in a club, and I hear this thing, and I'm like, oh wow. Wait, that's me! We come back from Miami, and this record is called You Don't Know Me. How the success of that single immediately changed his life. So I'm at UPS, I'm working, and I get a phone call. Hey, we need you to jump on a plane and come to England. I'm like, for what? They're like, your record's number one. (laughs) And why creativity is so important to him as an artist. Out of all the stuff you go through, all the craziness, it's all worth it for that person that the music you create touches, moves, or inspires. I hope you enjoy our conversation. This is Dwayne Harden. House Culture. Hi, Dwayne. Thank you so much for sitting down with us on the House Culture podcast today. Your soulful voice and poignant lyrics have soundtracked a huge proportion of all of our house music lives as you're featured on many anthems over the past 20 years and more. You're also a DJ and artist in your own right as well and a genuine triple threat of the dance music community. Obviously, we want to dig into all of those aspects of your career, but before we get to that, can we go back to the beginning and find out where you grew up and what kind of music you first discovered when you were young? Well, first I got to say, oh, when you said 20 years, I'm like, oh my God, I'm that old, right? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I just celebrated my 50th birthday. I'm an old, an oldie but goodie. You're still doing it. You're still doing it. (laughs) But um, yes, I grew up in uh, Savannah, Georgia. So Mm -hmm. most people don't know that. They know Atlanta. But um, yeah, I grew up in Georgia and uh, finished high school there. And then I went to college in Boston. And growing up in Georgia, we didn't have house music. At least mm-hmm. I wasn't exposed to it. And my first, the first time I got exposed to house music was moving to Boston, you know, for school. Mm-hmm. So discovered it and been in love ever since. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that discovery. So so you went to Boston to go to college there, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, what what were the cl- what was the scene like in Boston in terms of that discovery? I mean, you, if you said that they didn't have it in, in Georgia, where you're from, was it, wow, why haven't I experienced this before? Or was it like, this is something that's really for me? Yeah, like, um, well, first, I'm surprised I even graduated because I spent more <laughs> partying than studying. Uh, but anyway, yeah, uh, thank God I did graduate. But when I got there and um, I just, you know, I stumbled across this music and I was like, wow, what is this? And mm-hmm. being, you know, and when you go to college, like, I think over there you guys can go out when you're 16, but like in over here, um, you got to be 21 because mm-hmm. that's the legal drinking age. So actually, but a, I, I went to college before I was 21. But anyway, somehow I was clubbing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I discovered the music, and I really got my education in terms of house music from Amon Van Helden. He was yeah. a DJ at an after-hours party, mm-hmm. which you didn't have to have photo ID to get into because they didn't serve alcohol. 
well, people would sneak stuff in. But anyway, um, you did have to have a membership card. It was like little private members only thing. Mm-hmm. And it was called The Loft. And he was a DJ there. And I just loved the music he played. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Armin van Helden, you know, what kind of presence was he like commanding behind the decks at, at the loft in Boston? Did he have a following or was he just a DJ or, or tell us about the vibe in that club and what he was doing? Yeah, um, him and this guy, Bruno, it was their party. He was pro- and at that time he wasn't he wasn't the Armin van Helden that we all know today. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I knew him when <laughs> when he was stand outside clubs passing out flyers to get people to come to his party you know their party yeah so um both of them actually him and bruno were just great djs and again for a guy that had just got introduced to the music and going through what i was going through you know i put myself through school financially at boston university and just mm-hmm. like everything i had been through and was going through at that time in my life, going to the clubs and hearing that music was my escape, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And it's weird because I'm in the music business and people think I'm on drugs when they see me <laughs> in the club because of the way that I act. But music is my natural high. I've never done a drug in my life and I've never drank alcohol. Wow. No way. Yeah, and I'm and I've never smoked and I'm fifty. So <laughs> there's always yeah. still time. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um yeah, so that that was my release. That was my escape. Mm. That was my living in another world moment was house music and I went from Amon's party to several other parties, even went to raves and all kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so what what year exactly would that have been around? Um 1990. Maybe before you were born. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Which is the funniest thing. You know, it, it's 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 flattering and then I'm like, "Oh, get out of here." You know, how you like you're in the club, you finish performing, people will come up to you and be like, "Oh my god, I love your music." When I was a kid, my mom used to play <laughs> your music and I grew and I'm like oh my god yeah this is so sad so those are the awkward moments when you realize your age but uh I certainly don't act it but anyway <laughs> I totally forgot what your question was because I was just talking ramble but go ahead no, no no don't worry don't worry it's all good I mean um you know just talking about Armin van Helden and you know the loft and in, in Boston and whatever in that scene you know, if you're if you're one of the regulars uh, on the dance floor there, did he like notice you? Did he start to recognize you? Did you form like a bond relationship? Did you get chatting one night? How did you kind of meet and vibe off each other? Okay, so what had happened was, <laughs> um, I have a best friend. He's still my best friend to this day. His name is Calvin Sylvester. Mm-hmm. It's funny. So I, I met Amon, and he used to hang out with this guy named Call, and they took me to a house a house party one night and this guy was DJing at the house party who's now my best friend Calvin Sylvester Mm -hmm. so we hooked up and we would hang out all the time at the loft and again people think I'm on drugs but I don't (laughs) do them but when I hear the music Mm -hmm. I just start going crazy and and one of my spazzing out moments is I'll just start singing and making up my own lyrics Mm -hmm. vocals to tracks and so back then like there would be a lot of instrumentals so me and my best friend, Calvin Sylvester, would do that. Amon um, used to be like, and it was, a, the loft was a really small place. It was mm-hmm. a small place, but it was like the best party. 
and you were in the know if you knew about it and went and was able to get in. That's the other thing, right? It was like, it was, you know, it was like Boston's house version of like Studio 54, yeah. you know, kind of think about it that way. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, a mom was like, who are these people that keep singing over my tracks? <laughs> <laughs> and that's actually how my singing career got started. No way. Because um, it was a small place, but I have a big mouth. And so you could hear me. <laughs> so um, um, he was like, you know what? You can sing. We should really do a record. And I'm like, no, 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 you're crazy. Um, but we'll get into that story later. But mm-hmm. um, that was my reaction. And because me and my friend Calvin used to sing with records, a lot of people knew us mm-hmm. in the club. And like in, in my younger years, I could cut a rug or two. You know, so I was a dancer. You know who's an excellent dancer? You never see him? Amon. He could break dance. Oh, my God. Yeah. For real. No he, way. Oh, yeah. Back in the day. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Yeah. If you ever interview him or see him somewhere, ask him to bust a few moves. Uh-huh. I mean, we're, all, we're all so old now. <laughs> but anyway, he, he could dance really good. But anyway, yeah, yeah. So that was just my clubbing time. And from that of me singing over records that him and Bruno would play at the loft, mm-hmm. Amon and I relationship grew very close as friends because he was, I think he was going to Bunker Hill mm-hmm. Community College. And I was at Boston University or he was just working. I forgot where he was working. But anyway, he got into this thing every day. What do you do? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, every day we would hang out mm-hmm. and um, try to find parties, like whatever. Again, I don't know how I graduated, but thank God I did. So <laughs> we we be together every day, and it was just you know enjoying the music, enjoying the music. I got my education about house music through that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, so you you said that you weren't necessarily like a singer or whatever, and you you just got a big mouth and you're on the dance floor, just like what lyrics were you shouting or singing on the dance floor? You know, was it just like scat kind of stuff or was it like stuff that yeah, had no real words? Yeah, it was just scat. It was just whatever the melody of the instrumental inspired me to do. Mm-hmm. And it was just little hooks. It would, yeah. it would just be hooks. And I, and I still say I'm not a singer. I'm not like, I'm not a singer at all. I'm just a club kid that when I hear a certain type of music, you know, a certain melody just has me to respond in that way. So I don't consider myself a singer. I do consider myself a songwriter, but mm-hmm. singer, no. And the whole songwriting, which is funny, the reason why I could make up just hooks and things on the spot mm-hmm. is because in my previous life in high school, I used to be a battle MC. So I was a rapper in high school. So of course, yeah. you know, when you're going after dome, as they called it back in the day, mm-hmm. you know, you just, that was just a skill. And so songwriting for me, at least the house music became me just putting raps but to melody yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah cool i mean so tell us about like you know you you kind of must have known that you had this like innate talent you know from the battle emceeing whatever and being able to do what you were doing in the club i mean did when was that first time that you actually sat down and thought i'm gonna i'm gonna write something i'm gonna create a song or bring this passion out you know literally in the written word with my own hand tell us about that well my grandfather had 14 kids wow. and they can all sing and three of them played the piano by ear mm-hmm. i mean they're not trained and um they traveled around they were scott 
Scott family singles gospel because mm-hmm. he was a Southern Baptist preacher. And so I know it's somewhere in me <laughs> because <laughs> my, my family does it, you mm-hmm. know. And to be honest with you, the first time that I said I'm going to sit down and write like a song, mm-hmm. as we know them to be today, was after my brother died. Okay. So Amon had always been asking, you know, oh my God, we should do a record, we should do a record, we should do a record. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, I'm an engineer. My brother was like, he lived a starving artist, like singer, dancer, actor, that kind of thing, you know, yeah. he was in entertainment. And um, he passed away and he passed away the year I graduated from college. Oh, so Sorry to hear that. Yeah, thank you. And and by this time, Amon was, you know, Amon is the Amon that we know today. Mm-hmm. He had started, he signed records to Strictly Rhythm, started having success. You know, he blew up. So he left X-Mix Productions where he was in the basement in Cambridge, Mass, mm-hmm. and moved to New York. And he was living in Times Square. And um, when I graduated from, my, actually, my brother died the week of my finals exams and graduating from college. And so um, when I moved from Boston to New York, because New York was the place to be, right? Mm-hmm. So I would come down on weekends, me and my best friend Calvin, we would come down and go to the Sound Factory. Then, you know, there was Louis Vega with mm-hmm. Barbara Tucker, Wednesdays at Sound Factory Bar. Again, I still don't know to this day how I graduated. Um, but because <laughs> but, uh, Boston's five hours from New York. Like, yeah. yeah. So, but we did it, baby. We did wow. it. Wow. He was up in there. <laughs> so um, the tunnel, Twilo, mm-hmm. uh, Sound Factory, Sound Factory Bar, Palladium, you name it, we was up in it. So I was like, oh, my God, New York. Mm-hmm. The clubbing scene in New York is like no other place I had been to, right? So I said, I want to live in New York. So I moved to New York. And um, when my brother passed away, I moved to New York. And as he after he passed away and going through mm-hmm. his personal effects, I found, I found this cassette tape of a song he had written. And song, and it was so beautiful. It just sounds like a, a song you had the ending credits of like a Disney movie, and it was oh, called wow. "World of Dreams." Mm-hmm. And um, one night I went over to New Jersey, which is right, you know, right across mm-hmm. the water from Manhattan. I don't know if you've been to yeah, New York yeah, City yeah. before, yeah. but I went to New Jersey, and I and I ran into this guy, and this guy was like, "I know you," and I was like, "From where?" And he was like, "We used to work at a work study job at Boston University." And I was like, "Oh." And he's like, my name's Moses. Again, I told you I was popular, so people knew me. Mm-hmm. And I recognized his face, and, but I don't remember working with him. But anyway, I was like, what are you doing? And he was like, I'm from New Jersey, and I finished school, of course, and I'm back home. And I was like, well, I moved here to New York, and my brother passed away, mm-hmm. and I want to re-record his song. And Moses was like, well... I've been classically trained in piano since I was five years old. And I was like, okay, you want to do music together? And he said, yeah, we've been together ever since. And um, so I went down to Sam Ash, was a music store in um, Times Square. Mm-hmm. And I spent 15 grand. I, spent, <laughs> I won't forget, I spent $15,000. Oh Just, my God. Um, and what I, year was this? Wow. <laughs> when I actually bought the equipment. So this was like 96, 97. So I, I, I bought all this music equipment uh-huh. and I studied computer engineering. So uh-huh. I was like, hey, I can put all this stuff together. Mm-hmm. Not really realizing that, 
you can have all the equipment in the world, but if you have no musical talent, <laughs> all the equipment won't do you any good. But anyway, I was able to hook it all up. <laughs> so uh, I was able to hook it up and we started like, my goal was to re-record my brother's song, mm-hmm. right? First to produce it, find a singer. And this time I had met um, this girl, Melanie Daniels, who was like the lead background singer for Mariah Carey. I was like, okay, we can get this done. And she got connections and whatever. So at the end of the day, I'm a businessman. So I spent 15 grand, right? And again, since my days at Boston of Amon asked me, let's do, we should make music. We should do a record. We should do a record. Mm-hmm. Now he's already famous, if if that's what we want to say, right? At yeah. this time, when, when he moved to Times Square, mm-hmm. he had done all those re- the to- all those remixes, but all this stuff happening, mm-hmm. traveling around the world, DJing. He's had a lot of success. So the next time he asked me for us to do a record together, I said yes, and I said yes because at the end of the day, I'm a businessman. Mm-hmm. And I had invested $15,000 and I needed to get my money back. <laughs> he said yes. And I was working at UPS mm-hmm. and the uh, engineering department there, which is in Times Square as well. So it was just a few blocks down from Amon's house. So I said, okay. So one day after work, I went over to Amon's house mm-hmm. and um, he played a couple, he played one disco loop and I was like, eh, eh nah. He played a second one, nah, nah, nah. and then he played a third one. I said, oh, that's it. Mm-hmm. And um, he recorded the loop in, on an ADAT, and he had a Mac, and it was an ADAT machine. And we were in his living room, and he recorded the loop, mm-hmm. and he went to dinner with his girlfriend. I said, I'm going to write a song. So I wrote the lyrics in 15 minutes. Wow. Before he wow. left, he told me, Okay, we're gonna do this record, but don't make it about love. Don't make it about it, it was three things. But I remember one was don't make it about love. Don't do like he was weird like that. Like, <laughs> you know, what he was into, you know, what uh-huh. he wanted to hear. So I wrote this song and um him and his girlfriend came back from dinner and I sung it to him. And he was like, Okay, good. So I had never really recorded music before. Mm-hmm. And even though he's Amon, like not Amon, like you know him, Amon. He's like Yo, that's my boy who we hang out with and go eat and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. I was now this is Amon, the professional, you know what I mean? Producer. So I was nervous as heck. So I said, I'm going to record this song, but you can't be here. No one can be here because I'm I'm not a singer. So I'm nervous, you know, and I don't know what I'm doing. So I wrote the lyrics in 15 minutes. He comes back from dinner. I go over this go over the song I did with him. He says, cool. So I don't want him there. He sets up the microphone in his living room and he shows me how to use the computer to record. Mm-hmm. And he goes to dinner with his girlfriend. I record the vocals. He, I mean, no, I mean, he goes in the bedroom with his girlfriend. He, I, I record the song while he went out with her mm-hmm. and then he comes back, I go over and he goes in the bedroom with his girlfriend. I stand in I stand in the living room in his apartment in Times Square, and I record this song. And um, finally, I just lay down on his couch. I went to sleep, and then I woke up like four thirty in the morning, and I went to knock on the door. I'm like, bro, you know, he's in there with his girlfriend. I'm assuming doing the door. You know what I mean? But I'm like, <laughs> hey, 
it's 4.30 and some of us still have nine to five jobs to go to. <laughs> I got to get home, take a shower and come back down here to Times Square so I could be to work at yeah. UPS. Mm-hmm. And um, he comes out, uh, you know, with she, you know, half asleep and he sits down at the computer and he listens. And you know what he says? Like, cool. Like he's so unemotional, right? <laughs> I'm like, listen, if you don't like it, like whatever. Yeah. I'll come back and fix some stuff. Like, whatever, I got to go. It's 4.30 in the morning. Mm-hmm. So later on, like the next day or a few days later, whatever, he hits me up and he says, I just need this one thing in the break. And he has just come up with something. And we come up and I do this high note. Mm-hmm. And I, from writing the song in 15 minutes to standing up in his living room recording the vocal, I don't hear what we've done until I get to Miami. Mm-hmm. And I'm running around Miami. This is my first time. I'm sorry, Miami Winter Music Conference. Yeah, this is yeah. my first time going to the Winter Music Conference. Mm-hmm. And um, people are like, oh my God, have you heard of the new Amon record? And it's funny because I'm in a club one night at you know conferences, parties every night. I'm in a club and I hear this thing and I'm like, oh wow, wait, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> I had never heard what we've done Mm, until Miami, right? And so I'm in Miami and again, I'm a businessman. So I spent this 15 grand. And again, at this time, Amon was the big producer, right? DJ producer. Mm -hmm. And like I hung out with him in in Boston, same thing. I hung out with him in New York. So hanging out with Amon Van Helden in New York as like his sidekick, of course, I meet a lot of people in the music business. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, hey, you know, Amon, like, you know, I spent this money. I want to get my money back. I want to make music. I want to write songs. And he was like, you should, you know, that's by then I learned you should go to Winston Music Conference. So me and Moses, we did a cassette tape of six songs that we wrote and produced. And I found different singers from Mariah Carey's Melanie Daniels to mm-hmm. a bunch of people that she hooked me up with and they recorded the vocals, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm in Miami running around passing out this cassette tape. We come back from Miami and this record that Amon and I did is called You Don't Know Me. Mm-hmm. And my name is not on the white label test pressing letter, just Amon Behelda. And this record is blowing up. and But people don't know that I wrote the song and I'm the singer, mm-hmm. right? They just got a cassette tape from me and Moses of six other songs. And we come back and I get a letter from Arista Records and Strictly Rhythm and Nervous Records and all this stuff. And people are like, oh my God, these are good songs. And I'm like, wow. So by this time, You Don't Know Me is like really like blowing up, signed to a major label mm-hmm. and, um, the record's doing well. I, of course, Amon doesn't tell me anything. So I don't know, right? <laughs> so I'm at UPS. I'm working. And I get a phone call. Mm-hmm. Hey, we need you to jump on a plane and come to England. I'm like, for what? And they're like, your record's number one. <laughs> <laughs> so by this time, because we had no contracts. And I'm like, oh, wait, now I'm going to be the diva, right? I'm like, oh, wait, I'm not getting on any plane so I get a contract, somebody pay me, blah, 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 right? Anyway, <laughs> so the record was number one. I ended up getting an artist agreement from Amon from London FFR, mm-hmm. Pete Tong's joint, and uh, Phil Fabishan was the A&R. And I got a, a, 
publishing contract from EMI because the song was number one. They gave me like a half half a million dollars and I quit my job. But it's so funny because right before then, because of this cassette tape, mm-hmm. right, floating around, people didn't know it was me on the Mon Van Helden's record because mm-hmm. my name wasn't on it. I get all these offers for a publishing deal. Mm-hmm. So I say, um, because Amon was the only person I knew of, right, in the music business. I was like, Amon, I don't know what to do. And he was like, Strictly Rhythm. Strictly Rhythm gave me a publishing deal. So they gave me uh, $50,000 advance, but mm-hmm. it was right before the You Don't Know Me coming out. So it's funny, I had, which is unbelievable, I had two publishing deals. I had one from Strictly Rhythm, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and then I had one from EMI. And the way they got got away with it was um, one said for dance orchestrations, which songwriting has nothing to do with the way that it's produced. Songwriters is, is lyrics and or melody, but the attorneys did whatever they were going to do. So I had two publishing deals because one didn't know about the other kind of really. And um, the song was a success. Mm-hmm. And um, when I got the half million dollars, I quit my job and started flying to England every weekend. <laughs> Wow. From John John Rowley, my booking agent at Primary Talent, and just traveling around performing. And um, I, you know, because I was signed to Strictly Rhythm mm-hmm. for publishing, okay, got to earn my keep, right? Because they gave me $50,000 advance. So Gladys Pizarro, who is still my very, very good friend today, mm-hmm. we speak every week. She was my boss back then, though. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and I don't know if you know, Gladys Pizarro is... She is strictly rhythm or was yeah. strictly right. She found all those from blowing up Amon, Eric Marillo, Masters at Work. Like we totally we could just go on and on and on, right? For anybody listening, if you don't know who Gladys Pizarro is, look up mm-hmm. if you want to know. She's house music royalty, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, so she gave me a cassette tape and it had a disco sample on it. And I wrote a song because that's my job, right? I'm mm-hmm. a songwriter. I was like one of the first songwriters signed to Strictly Rhythm because they always did DJ producer deals, but yeah. I was just signed as a songwriter. So she gives me this cassette tape and I write the song. And unlike the cassette tape I did with Moses, where we got all these different singers, mm-hmm. I recorded the, the vocal, the demo. Mm-hmm. And again, pe- at this time when she gave me that, still people don't put the two and two together, me, what you don't know me. Mm-hmm. So I give her the cassette tape and she's like, what? Wait a minute. Not only can you write songs, you can out, you can sing. And I'm like, no. And she was like, you're going to be the singer of this song. I'm like, no, what are you talking about? No, 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 no. So it was a sample that Lenny Fontana had put together. Mm-hmm. And so um, I went to Lenny's house out on Long Island. And um, again, Gladys was my boss. And I'm going to tell you, as an AR, that again, I'm not a singer. We must have spent an hour on me re recording the first line of this record. I kid you not. Yeah. Like that woman, when she knows what she wants, she's going to get what she wants. <laughs> and she will push you and push you until she get it. Yeah. And that's why I think Strictly Rhythm had all the success that it did. Mm-hmm. She was mm-hmm. a tough cookie as an AR. Mm-hmm. Love her to death, but when she's your boss, woo, totally <laughs> different story. But anyway, so um, shout out to Gladys Pizarro mm-hmm. um, for making me who I am today. So I write the song, record it. Um, she releases it, and Defected p- puts it up 
um, yeah. picks it up in the UK. And shortly thereafter, they're like, hey, you got to come to London for what? <laughs> Top of the Pops again. So I was on Top of the Pops in, in um, February for You Don't Know Me. Mm-hmm. And then on Top of Pops again around April, May, whatever time frame for a record called Powerhouse, Powerhouse. What You Need. Oh, yeah. And I wow. think it was it was um, defective. Their first crossover was Can't Get Enough. And their yeah. second pop success as defected was my record. How yeah. else would you be? So I had a number one and then a number 13. And then it just kept going from there. But oh. more with the songwriting. I did. Um, after that, I wrote um, Barbara Tucker's and Daryl Debono. Stop Playing With Mine. It mm-hmm. was number 17 on top of the pops. I wrote... Um, Eric Marilla with Jocelyn Brown, Ministers De La Funk, Believe. Mm-hmm. I've, I've written um, Bob St. Bob Clair's Love Generation. Like, you know, that, that's what I do. Just yeah. I mean, just, re- just reeling those off, it's crazy for me. Like, you know, those are some of the best feel-good house music that's ever been laid down, in my opinion. And <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just nuts. I mean, it must have been like, to, to, to rewind just a bit, obviously the you know, you don't know me in the powerhouse, like the one-two punch of that, like how your life must have changed, like you say, from working at UPS and then you're getting a half a million dollars and then you're flying to the UK. I mean, did your did your workmates understand what was going on? Were they like, holy shit, what's happened? You know, you're just like, hey, yeah, guys, I've got this, see you later, I'm going to... London, I'm going to perform on top of the pops. I mean, what? How? Yeah. What was that like at yeah. that time? It's must been crazy. Yeah, it was, you know, mind mind blowing. Uh, still is to this day, you know. <laughs> and it's just weird. And they're like, um, I have a friend, Miriam, and she's like, Yeah, I know that guy. <laughs> you know, because uh, I, you know, still to this day, I get pops of now. You know, mm. with the internet stuff, people send you clips on WhatsApp. Oh my God, I'm in the club and they're playing your song and i know that guy he's my friend you know what i mean <laughs> type thing or or it's so funny i have people call me and i have one friend in la he loves to do this um he's a tv producer and again when he meets a house head you know it's it's weird like you just do something and you never know like how people are going to connect to it mm-hmm. and um which i gotta tell you a story about connection with that record in a minute I know I've been talking, talking, talking. No, no, no. This is good. This is good. But he'll just call me and, uh, oh, just just um, sing live for me one, one moment because people can't believe that you're my friend. <laughs> and I'll just bust out the hook of you don't know me or something. <laughs> but speaking of like connecting and the healing power of music. So as I said before, we go to Miami and pass out the cassette tape. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't know means bubbling around it becomes the record of the conference comes out it's a hit number one record in england actually in a bunch of countries so the next winter music conference of course i have to perform the song you mm-hmm. know people are booking me to perform the song and so i i sing and um i come off the stage and this girl comes up to me and she's just crying and i'm an emotional guy I'm man enough to admit it. So she's just crying. And because she's crying, I start crying. And I hug her. I say, what are we crying about? <laughs> I don't know what we're crying about. But, you know. And um, she says, I'm crying because I can't believe I'm meeting the guy who saved my life. And of course, 
I really just fall apart, right? And I'm like, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? She was like, I was in the bathroom and I had the knife in my hand and your song came on the radio and I listened to the lyrics and I put the knife down. Wow. And you know what? Like, how many years you said? 20 years? I don't know. However long I've been doing this mm-hmm. and all the success I've had as a songwriter, like, you go through so because it's called music business i like the music part of it i hate the business part of it Mm -hmm. right because you probably heard all the horrible stories with record labels and in in relationships and Mm -hmm. whatever and and trust me i've been screwed over from many ways from here to the sun Mm -hmm. but out of all the stuff you go through traveling missing flights and blah 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 and just all the craziness it's all worth it for that person that the music you create touches, moves, or inspires. Yeah. And in this case, touched her so that she put the knife down. And from that moment, I was like, no matter whatever I go through, I always feel like it's my responsibility to the universe to give back. I've been given this gift, mm-hmm. and I've been given this gift for a reason. And to be a great steward of it is just that. I mean, it changed one person's life and that's all that matters because you go through like it's funny because the first song that ever written and recorded was from from melanie daniels and Mm -hmm. um and actually her record was the first song of mine i ever heard on the radio and i will always 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 be forever grateful to little louis vega Mm -hmm. because louis vega was the first person on the radio that ever heard play one of my one of my creations mm-hmm. and it didn't sell a lot <laughs> you know it was called inner visions featuring melanie daniels don't you ever give up mm-hmm. but on days when i'm feeling down it's a record that i can listen to to inspire me you know yeah, yeah. and so I, I think that's that for me that's what has kept me going all these years is that um let's create let's do music with the purpose and that is to to heal and change the world. So yeah. Sorry if I'm getting all sappy. No, no. I mean, you know, that's you're exactly right. Like you say, to to you've been given this gift and to be a steward of that and to to well to one share it and feel like it's it's got a purpose. Um, it's it's wonderful, you know. And um, you know, like you say, it's just summed up in the, the healing power of music. You know, it can get you through those dark times and to to have that story told to you personally by someone who's experienced one of your songs must have been incredibly emotional i mean just think of there are probably any number of people out there that have got similar stories almost that haven't even been able to tell you personally you know it's it's all about yeah it's all about music and and how it can heal you and get you through those moments I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. I mean, you don't know me, I suppose. Well, it came out in the UK, it came out, I think it was January 99 it was released, but I mean, it had been played for however long, you know, before that. It was like everyone was waiting for this track to come out to physically be able to buy it back when you had to go to a record store and buy this stuff. Um, you know, are you surprised almost that, that this one track in particular is you know it's almost 25 years old dare i say it and that we're still you know we're still talking yeah, it about can't it because be, <laughs> I'm, I'm barely 30 what do you mean it's 25 years old <laughs> don't worry i was there in the club when it first came out as well so i feel that i feel it's bad <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, the impact of it is just it's just crazy. Wait, let me can I give you another story? Go for it. So remember I told you I got a call. Hey, you gotta jump on a plane to England, you gotta be on top of the pops. So FFRR brings me over, put me up really nice, and they have a driver to take me from the hotel to BBC Studios. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, that top of the pops performance was really my first time performing. What? Remember, I wasn't a singer, right? Yeah, this record just happened. It oh. was a, it just happened, yeah. and um, I was at work at UPS. Mm-hmm. I wasn't singing or any of this type of stuff that I do today. So my first time really performing was on top of the pops, and they were like, "Oh, it's only like 1.2 million people who will be watching you," <laughs> and it was the first time that I ever had the flu. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was sick. Oh no! I had to fly six hours. You know, to London and come and do this TV show. But anyway, the the driver, my driver to the TV show, like whatever, he took me. We do the TV show. And after the TV show, he was like, hey, um, I know this may sound crazy, but my kids love this song. Mm-hmm. Could I have your autograph? And I said, shh, you know. Who am I? Yeah, sure, no problem. We all human beings, right? I don't know. Like he thought, like I would say no, which is like crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he was like, um, and I know this is like basically really crazy, but could I ca- have your contact information? I said, sure, no problem. 
So I gave him back then it was an email, right? Mm-hmm. Back then. And so we stayed in contact. You know, I live in New York and he was like, I'm bringing my kids and wife to, to New York City. And I took them out to dinner. But before this, I don't know how, how, how long before, the little girl, she reached out to me and she was like, I have to do a book report on the famous person. Do you mind if I interview you? Like, first of all, I'm not famous. That's what I say myself. But I thought it was so flattery, you know. Uh-huh. She's in school and she has to do a book report. Mm-hmm. So she does a book report on me. Thank God she got a good grade. Because <laughs> <laughs> I asked her later about it. She got a good grade on it. And um, he brought the little girl and the little boy over to New York. Mm-hmm. And I take him out to dinner, blah, blah, blah. We stay in contact over years, even till this day. Like, mm-hmm. I've been to both of the kids' weddings. Oh, wow. Yeah, so the little girl grows up and, you know, I'm in Ibiza every, I stay in Ibiza every summer, you know. Mm -hmm. So she was like, oh my God, I'm going to be in Ibiza. And she did her first DJ gig in Ibiza. Mm -hmm. And I went to it and she was on the radio, Kiss FM. Mm -hmm. And now she's on BBC. The little girl's name is Charlie Hedges, and tomorrow she's going to be playing my record on Dance Anthem. It's the funniest, and that's why I always say, well, regardless, but always treat everybody as a human being with kindness and love. Mm -hmm. This little girl who did a book report on me, her name is Charlie Hedges now. (laughs) Oh my God. That's just another funny story. That's on another level. That's crazy. Yeah. She was on Kiss, and now she's at Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Radio 1. But yeah. Incredible, incredible. Oh, that's totally throwing me. I've totally forgotten what my next uh, follow-up question is. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, well, I was going to talk about, uh, we interviewed um, at the end of our last season, our last interview was with um, Purple Disco Machine. And... Oh, I did. Oh, yeah. You know, I did a, oh my God, you want to know, <laughs> I did a song with him. Called, yeah, yeah. Um, Devil in Me. Devil, yeah, Devil in Me, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, it did well too. Yeah. yeah. I mean... <laughs> That one, there was a uh, like the way he, the way that track for him had come about. He had like produced it, and it was you know an instrumental or whatever, and then it kind of blew up. And the label were like, "Oh, we need something with a vocal hook on it," you know. And you know, you wrote the lyrics for that, and it, you know, it was, it was done at that time. But then it came out like much later. I mean, when you're you're a songwriter, right, and you get mm-hmm. given these tracks that might already have a bit of a life. Um, or, you know, be well-known in a certain section of the scene or whatever. Do you, how do you approach putting lyrics on top of, of that? And do you feel like anything goes or do you feel like a sense of um, you've got to be reverential to what's already there? I mean, how do you approach it? Oh my gosh, it's going to make a joke. Uh, call me the track whisper. Like they speak to me. <laughs> the dog whisper, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I'm serious. They speak to me. Uh-huh. They speak to me. And um, it's funny that, okay, let me tell you, if you want to know a funny story about that song? Okay. Oh. So, <laughs> so yeah, I didn't know this guy. Mm-hmm. Timo, I didn't know Purple Disco Machine. Mm-hmm. And now by this time, I'm not officially over at Ultra Records, but like for 10 years, they've been wanting to move me over, move me over, waiting for my contract to expire, right? Mm-hmm. So to throw a little dangling carrot out there, Patrick Moxie would send me stuff. So he's the owner of Ultra. So Patrick Moxie sent me the instrumental mm-hmm. from this guy, Purple Disco Machine. Now, 
Oftentimes, I cannot work on a song if I know it. I know that sample from back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And there was a female on it. I know that sample. I can't remember the name of the record, how the song goes, but it's in my subconscious, right? Mm-hmm. Typically, when I know that somebody else has done a record, normally I remember the hook. And because I remember their hook to it, I can't add anything, come up with anything creative. So I normally don't do it. But yeah. for some reason, I can't remember how she went on that sample. Mm-hmm. I couldn't remember. So it didn't block me. It didn't create a writer's block for me to come up with something. Mm-hmm. So I had an idea for the record, what I wanted to do. Oh, Kiss FM has a Kistery or something like that mm-hmm. at O2 Arena, like whatever party. They mm-hmm. bring me over to perform there, right? Mm-hmm. And at that time, I used to use Facebook. I don't anymore. But I had posted that I was in London and a guy named John Saunderson, Saunders from Nottingham Music. So, oh, you're in town? I have a writer's camp come. And so... I went to their songwriting camp and I met this guy named Joe Killington. Mm-hmm. And Joe Killington, we call it Garbage Man. He was collecting, he's a rubbish guy over there. Yeah, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And um, so time passed. I get the instrumental from Patrick Moxie and I have the song idea. And I was like, you know what? How cool will it be that we do this song? And you never know how music is going to turn out. We do this song, it becomes a hit. And just like how how I quit my job at UPS, Joe no longer has to collect trash. I think that would be the coolest story. And I'm in my hotel room in Ibiza. And back then I used to use Skype. And we did the song over Skype. I hit Joe because I had Joe's contact. I'm in my hotel room in Ibiza. Mm-hmm. He's in London. And we do the song over Skype. We were right. He would record, send me back, like vice versa. And actually, it's funny. This, like I'm talking to you now on my cell phone headphones plugged mm-hmm. into my laptop because mm-hmm. that's just even though I'm in the music business I have nothing musical around me <laughs> but um, <laughs> I wasn't you know I spend the summers in the bees the same thing so I'm on my cell phone headphones the the hook the background vocals I recorded through cheap headphones into GarageBand and that's what's in the record. It's so funny. You don't need all this like yeah. craziness. He he was like, it's, it's good. I'm keeping it, you know? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so um, we, we did the song and it was, I think, gold in a couple of countries, like mm-hmm. whatever, yeah. the devil and me. So I was happy for Joe and for Purple Disco Machine. Yeah, yeah. funny. Incredible, incredible. And like you say, like now you don't need to spend that 15 grand from a music store in Times Square. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and like Joe, the the vocal on that is absolutely amazing. And when you're working with another vocalist, you're writing for them. You know, uh, you mentioned uh, Ministers Della Funk as well, Believe, and like Jocelyn Brown. Oh, Jocelyn Brown, yeah. Well, I mean, how are you approaching dealing with a, like a vocalist of like that kind of stature, like saying something that you've written? Are you giving them any like pointers like you like you were getting in you know from from strictly rhythm in terms of like get it must absolutely be like this or you just like just run with it i've written this you just you're you know what you're doing no i i i prefer to let people be who they're going to be because mm-hmm. you never know what's going to come out and then i get my two cents <laughs> but wait 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 so <laughs> jocelyn brown yeah 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 so, all right, so I write the song. Mm-hmm. Um, but back then at that time, it's so sad. I just 
hate what happened to music. Um, so when I got started, we used to do verse, chorus, and then in the verse, you, we call it, you guys call it middle eight. Yeah. We'll say the bridge, mm -hmm. like whatever, and then got the outro chorus. Like that was song structure. Mm -hmm. That's when I started. And then as the drugs change in the club, the music changed. Mm -hmm. And we went from a verse and a hook to just down the hooks to now these days just boop, just little like, yeah, I don't know. It's just like the whole, from a lyrical standpoint, the messages get, just got lost. Mm -hmm. And actually one DJ had the nerve and I'll never call his name. One DJ had the nerve to tell me, oh, it's a good song, but it doesn't go with my drugs. <laughs> And I'm like, I don't write music to go with your drugs. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But anyway, um, so at that time when we did Ministers Daily from Believe, because mm -hmm. of where the music was, and 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 it's sad again, as the drugs the drug of choice changes in the club, the music changes. Mm -hmm. Um, so at this time, the drugs had changed and it was just we could only stomach a verse and a chorus, right? <laughs> And so that's how Believe was written. It was just a verse and a chorus. Mm -hmm. And Defected had picked it up. And the record was doing well. But uh, but in order to be on the radio in the UK, so many minutes, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And so Simon Dunmore, the guy of Defected, mm -hmm. he said, I need another verse. So Eric Murillo, God rest his soul, Eric Murillo was in his studio in New Jersey. Jocelyn Brown was in a studio in London. And I was in the airport because I had a gig. I was in the airport in Canada. And through the phone, we did the second verse. <laughs> <laughs> through the phone, me standing up in the airport. I'm sure people are looking at me crazy singing, <laughs> but we did the second verse. And that's how the second verse got onto the Ministers de la Font Believe record with Jocelyn Brown. Well, I wonder if I have stories about every song. I think <laughs> <do>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I want to talk to you about like the most recent thing or one of the most recent things as well is like the house, your hookup with the house gospel choir, obviously, um, you know, they're a UK, UK based kind of collective. We've interviewed um, Natalie Maddox, the, the, you know, the leader ah, yeah. for this podcast and, you know, they're incredible. Um, so, you know, joyful, soulful, just everything that's good about music pumped into house music as well. It's, it's, it's amazing. And you've, yep. you've done your, a version of You Don't Know Me with them, which is, you know, an incredible gospel tinged, the hair razor it's incredible um you know tell us about how that kind of came about and what it was like working with those guys who are so good which is funny because i didn't know them and i got a message on instagram mm -hmm. that you know it's the pandemic people are stuck at home i'm stuck at home and um we they started doing these things i don't even know how they did it like the technology like it's so cool how they did the video mm -hmm. but they you know, they had done one with Ochinate, one with Barbara Tucker, and they wanted to do my song. So whipped out my cell phone. <laughs> and I don't know how they did it, but I whipped out my cell phone and recorded and, and sent it. And they were able to, you know, everybody from their cell phones put together this video collage. And we did You Don't Know Me for an Instagram post. Mm -hmm. Well, my goodness. This Instagram post just like blows up and people are talking about it. And I'm like, okay. And they're like, you guys should record 
the song. We record this song. Mm-hmm. And I'm signing to Ultra and Dave Waxman gets wind of this video, has over a million views and da-da-da-da-da. He's like, okay, we're recording this song. But of course, you know, it's still the pandemic. So we were supposed to do it in February, but you guys quarantining thing was crazy. Mm-hmm. So um, I finally came over in September mm-hmm. and um, we recorded it. And now it's out. Yeah, it's out now. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, yes, it was um, a fun experience. And so funny that recording we did at church studios. <laughs> so Haas Gospel Quiet at church studios. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So it was, a, it was a good time. It was a fun time in the studio with them. Cool. And uh, I mean, like, you know, you must be getting these offers come through. And like you say, Haas Gospel Choir, you weren't necessarily aware of them or whatever at that time. Is there anything that comes through and you're like, wow, I've, I've, I've always wanted to work with this person? Or, you know, is it always kind of new talent and things like that? And, you know, these things blow up. How, how does it kind of, how do these things come to you? Um, yeah, I just take it as it comes. I will tell you too much comes. That's the one thing I hate yeah. about the internet is that, and anyone listening, I'm sorry, but I'm just not a social media person. You'll see very few postings from me, and typically I'm reposting someone else's posting. Mm-hmm. And social media just made it with just like anybody can reach out to you. Mm-hmm. So my inbox, I'm sorry if you're listening, but my inbox is just on Instagram, whatever, the direct message is just full. Of, listen to my record, listen to my record. Mm-hmm. I mean, so many every day. So I typically don't get to anyone. Mm-hmm. So the music I do work on now, uh, just because so much gets coming to you, it comes through the label. So yeah. it comes through Ultra or someone, you know, and that's different. So with it coming through the label, uh, one, I know that somebody's behind the project already. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, But even still in that respect, like I just listen. I don't really care who you are, mm-hmm. how big your name is or how small your name is. Um, that doesn't matter to me it's about the music yeah yeah and it's good to have that filter i think of a, when it's coming to you that it, you know that it's not going to be everything and everything you know yeah 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 but i'm just that way not that i don't i don't mind but it's just like it's just way too many messages I'm sorry. yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's just way too many messages cool and I, mean... I got time for that <laughs> <laughs> no 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 way yeah yeah so is there anyone that you know you haven't worked with yet that you would absolutely, you know, is on your list in terms of that would be, it once I've worked with that person or done a, written a song for them or had them sing my lyrics, I just retire and I'm done. Is there, is there anything like that out there? No, in my um, two years of being in the music business, I've come, <laughs> I've kind of come across with David, David, get on down, you know, in terms of working mm-hmm. with people mm-hmm. um, and dance music, at least. Um, there isn't anyone who I'm like, oh my God, once I work with them, like I've always wanted to work with them. Cause the people, when they came up and I was like, I want to work with them. Mm-hmm. You know, when you've had, when your first record is a platinum selling record and you email or text someone or you ask your label to reach out to them, they pretty much get back to you. You know what <laughs> I mean? So there's never been like, oh, I wanted to work with that person and then wasn't not able to. Yeah. That's what I should say. Yeah, they they took my phone call. I should say, you know. <laughs> so uh, at this moment, no. It's... Now, who I would love to work with is mm-hmm. some new young person that hasn't had success. Mm-hmm. 
And um, I like just making a difference for people and to be able to work with them and, and be a part of their journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you've had that, you've had so much success. And like you say, it's that universe thing about giving, putting that good thing back that you've got and putting it back into and making sure that it's nurtured and everyone benefits from the experiences you've had. I mean, that's why I reached out to Joe, you Mm -hmm. know, because I could have done the devil and me record myself in terms of singing and writing it. But mm-hmm. I was just like, no, who? And I, I I thought about it and it was because I heard he was a garbage man or maybe he told me he was a garbage man. And I was like, that could be such a great story. If the, if this record turns out to be successful, that it makes a difference in him and his family's life, that he no, nothing's wrong with being a garbage man mm-hmm. at all. Respectable job. Yeah. But just to see this change and how, that, how this record could possibly change his life and i'm all about more about that than anything that's so yeah. good that's so good i mean i'm looking at my clock here and we're, we're... listen we way yeah we way over time my brother <laughs> no but <Especially> don't really... <laughs> what, what i want to do is um go on to the um the tracks for the playlist and just to get a few little little nuggets of stories behind your choices if that's all right Okay, can, just remind me. I what can they remind are. you. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> I've got them here on my screen, so uh, that's all good. I mean, this section of the podcast is we've got something called the House Culture Perfect Playlist on Spotify. Every single one of our guests has submitted a track, uh, or all the five tracks based on these themes. So, you know, we've done forty episodes of the podcast, so this 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 playlist is massive, um, nearly over a day long. I think it is now in terms of just choice so put it on shuffle it's an amazing selection in there and we always start off with um asking our guests like a catalyst tune um an original that kind of got you into house music and i'd imagine this is probably one of those tracks that you heard in the loft perhaps in boston or in another club in that city um and you've chosen michael watford's holding on holding on yes baby woof Produced by yeah. Roger Sanchez, uh, which I found out today, which is... Uh, yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Are I, you kidding me? There you go. I looked... I, I know, Roger. We worked... <laughs> to, are you kidding me? No, honestly, according I to Discogs... Put, yeah. Wow. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. When I get off with you, I'm texting <laughs> Roger. I can't, are you kidding me? I hope it's right. It's up there on Discogs. It must be. It's on the. It's on the actual label. On it's on the image on Discogs. So it's. Oh my that god! Shit's that's usually right, right? So, yeah, that's yeah. One of the first songs I fell in love with that I heard from my mom was gotcha. that record. Yeah, and so it I, it was a, a song that I kept on repeat for a while, mm-hmm. and I can't believe Roger. That is so funny. I'm calling him as soon as we get off. <laughs> but go ahead. Yeah, what's the next one? <laughs> Well, a, a floor filler. So you've chosen um, Martha Wash. Carry on, T. Uh, oh, oh, I don't know if you know that record, but um, it, it it is so funny. Like I'm not picking anything current, right? Mm-hmm. That tells you how old I am. No, no, no. This it is shows you how much I love the older music. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? The goodies, mm-hmm. but oldies. Um, that just first of all, Martha Wash. Hello, <laughs> which I've done sessions with her as well. But that uh-huh. song is just does something for me and it inspires me and and todd terry who which is funny because people say we look alike like we're brothers uh but anyway um yeah todd terry just you know he killed it on that mix killed it and Mm -hmm. and so 
oftentimes. And, and it's so funny because these young kids be looking at me when I play and I'm like, listen, y'all going to get an education and old 90s house music today. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing, yeah. like that era as well. Like everyone knows like the anthems and the things that have had that like almost second and third life in the club. Yeah. It's these like yeah. proper underground ones that really killed it at the time that you listen back to even now and you're like, wow. I still you love know? it. Yeah. 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 And you hear them on a sound system as well, and that's what they're built for. It's, it's yeah, incredible. oh yeah, Bec- yeah, because the way records are made today, back mm-hmm. then it was analog. Yeah, it, you're right. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, all right, a sunsetter. Obviously, you say you you, you uh, spend a lot of time in Ibiza, so you know um, you've chosen Ian Pooley's, um I want to say Balmes. <laughs> B-A-L-M-S. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 Yeah. Um, me and Gladys Pizarro. Yes. We love that song and it it just puts me in a good it's very calming for me. I'm surprised I didn't say because I should never pick my own records, but Love Generation too. Mm-hmm. Bob Sinclair's Love Generation. Yeah, mm-hmm. but anyway, as a yeah. sunsetter. Yeah, um, I love yeah. Generation. I, I love that song as well. And, you know, I wouldn't Thank be afraid. You, you wouldn't believe, um, you know, the, the amount of artists and DJs and whatever. There's a large selection of people that will choose their own material to put into this playlist. So, you know, you shouldn't be ashamed <laughs> of that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. Um, a tearjerker. A tear I mean, this could be from any genre as well. So um, you've chosen the Masters at Work mix of uh, Still in Love by Melissa Morgan. Oh, have you heard it? I I hadn't heard it until today, and I put it on, fired it up, and was just you know that intro. Oh, oh yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, her and Alicia Myers. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, but yes. Um, that. Oh my God! Just I can't even. I can't even explain to you where that record takes me. Mm. Um, like I don't. You know, it's just weird. Like, I don't know if Louis Vega and Kenny Dope realize how much of an impact that they've had on, like, people like me. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. I've written, you know, I've done plenty of studio sessions with Louis, too. Mm-hmm. Um, we've uh, done records together for me and, of course, for other artists. But just just the talent. just It's just amazing. I'm sorry I'm having a moment now. I'm sorry. Right. You have your Come moment, back. go for it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's just amazing. I think just the, the music just in its totality, like it just does something for so many different people. Mm-hmm. It's To me, it's the universal language, which is the funniest thing. Because, you know, having a hit record and traveling the world, um, when you go to countries where English is not the first language, mm-hmm. they may not speak English, but they can sure sing your song back to you. Yeah, and I I totally got that when I fell in love with um, salsa. Mm-hmm. My Spanish is basically como está, and it's so funny. After like what over fifteen years of living every summer in Ibiza, you think I would be fluent in Spanish by now, and I'm not. <laughs> but uh, um, there I don't understand the lyrics, but there's certain salsa songs that you put on, forget it, I lose it. <laughs> Music is universal. It speaks yeah. to you. Totally. You know, it totally. speaks to you. I'm I mean, sorry, back to this. What's the next song? The next one. <laughs> All right. I mean, we've talked about this already. I, I, 
I told you I could talk. <laughs> no, no, no. It's good. Talking's good for the podcast. Don't worry. <laughs> um, we've already talked about it, actually. Minister Stella Funk, believe. I mean, is there anything more to? to I mean, um, I love the um, the the. I don't know if it's the club mix or whichever mix it is, but the one it's got the organ intro to it. And oh yeah, that's just, the original mix. Yeah. yeah, that's the original mix. Yep. You can just play that and. It, that just takes me somewhere anyway. And then that guitar comes the in. The guitar riff. Yeah. The guitar riff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now that I think about it, most of, you know, I think somebody posted this the other day, like the You Don't Know Me sample. The songs that I choose to work on, mm-hmm. they all have these identifiable, undeniable things that the moment you hear it, you're like, oh, that's my record. <laughs> you know? <laughs> You're putting the drink down and headed to the dance floor. You're like, oh, that's my song. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. as soon as you hear it, you know, it's, it's, I just thought it's funny. Somebody posted that, like, about You Don't Know Me. It just has an undistinguishable sound, like, just the track. Forget yeah. about me, but just the instrument, the instrumentals that I choose to work on all have something unique, identifiable about them. And you're right. That as soon as you hear that organ in the beginning or that guitar riff, mm-hmm. you know exactly what it is. <laughs> And I think maybe that's why what kind of lost for me in some of the music today is that mm-hmm. I hate to say it, like all sounding the same, mm-hmm. like the tracks don't have their identifiable, unique, like thing that, oh, wow, I know it as soon as I, like name that tune, like as soon as you hear it, you know what I mean? Yeah. So. Yeah. Right. I've got one last question um, that we always uh, ask our guests. I was going to say, I haven't answered everything with my big mouth. (laughs) (laughs) You've kind of talked around it a bit, I suppose, but this is just to encapsulate it at the end is, uh, you know, we are house culture and you are one of the voices of the scene, you know, whether that's through, uh, you know, your lyrics that you've written or the songs that you've sung. Um, you know, what does the whole culture of the scene, when you look at it from your point of view and what it's given you in your career and your life, you know, what does it what does it really mean to you? And, you know, how do you how do you look upon it in terms of what it's given you? To sum it up, mm-hmm. grateful. The house culture scene, I'm grateful to. It's funny where people say like, like the girl in Miami, like your music saved me. Mm hmm house music saved me you know so um i just grateful grateful and i will continue um to give back to it what it gives to me and uh, it's just amazing how again it's a universal language that now no matter where you go you can find somebody somewhere that loves house music Oh my God, wait, we should sample that and put that in the record. I just did that. But anyway, okay. <laughs> Be a tech house track. <laughs> oh, no, that's, um, that is the perfect final thought, I think. That's, uh, yeah. We can wrap it up there. That's, that's amazing. All thank right. you so much. Well, I want to thank you and big shout out to uh, Hoss Gospel Choir. You and I wouldn't be talking if it wasn't for them in that record. So thank them as well. And thank you, Matt. I'm going back to sleep. (laughs) House Culture. What an amazing guy, right? And how funny that he was the subject of a young Charlie Hedges book report. I'd love to read that if you're listening, Charlie. 
If you want to catch Dwayne live, you can do so throughout this summer at Ibiza Rocks. And also make sure you check out his latest club banger called Be Together, which is a collab with 90s kids Jay Dabby and Moises Modesto. It's out now on Gladys Pizarro's launch imprint. Whilst you're adding that to your playlist on Spotify, make sure you also follow the House Culture Perfect playlist. This is where you'll find all of the tracks that our previous guests have chosen, as well as Dwayne's submissions. Well, apart from his floor filler, which was the Todd Terry dub of Martha Wash's Carry On, and his tearjerker, which was the Masters at Work mix of Melissa Morgan's Still In Love, both of these can be found on YouTube, so I recommend you check them out there. To make up for this shortfall, I've put Bob Sinclair's Love Generation into our playlist as a sunsetter. Dwayne wrote those beautiful lyrics, and it sounded like it was a strong second option for him anyway. Once you've got that on and playing loud, please help support us by loving, liking, tweeting and sharing. Or please leave us a review and we'll give you a shout out on a future episode. Then, if you're not vibing with us on Instagram already, why aren't you? Come on over and join the party at HouseCultureNet or by following the hashtag TrueHouseCulture. And finally, if you want to get in touch with me, Matt Rouse, you can do that directly on Instagram at DJ Matt Rouse. Thanks for listening. Rave safe. And see you next time. House Culture. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.